some of it will feel nice but it's things that must go because he knows what you need some of you will feel like he's cutting to the bone and that's okay because he knows how to heal you too Life is sharp and swift. Because he knows how to make the least painful as possible. But this scalpel is coming to every heart, to every life who allows him. So do not fear, do not be afraid. Because it is for your good. Your submission and obedience to me is what opens the door within you for me to begin to move more and more freely. This includes those times of prayer and fasting and worship and your involvement with my word. All of this is involved in your obedience. And as you are obedient to me, then you change on the inside. And the door of the flesh is not simply open, but it is removed so that I can flow through you to bring about my will. Too many of my children find this very difficult to believe. They see themselves more as a member of the world than as a member of my divine family. If you are born again, then you are qualified to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are qualified for the Holy Spirit to move through you in the way that He moved through my Son Jesus when He was on the earth and in the way that He moved through the Apostles in the book of Acts. You're qualified for this. But your obedience to me makes it more possible. Continue to yield to me. Continue to make a decision that you want to be yielded to me. And then ask me to help you. I will help you be more yielded to me. You are the one who makes the decision. You are the one who will fully yield but I will help you understand how. And the more this happens, the more of my glory and my anointing will flow through you. Do not see yourself as being too young, too old, too uneducated, too unworthy. You are my child. As my child, 
I do not focus on all of the things of the flesh that you have dealt with over the years. I focus on your potential. Yes, there are things in your life which need to be laid down. However, you have made great progress in me, and you will continue to make this progress if you will continue to press into me. So I say unto you, let me move freely through you as I did through Jesus, as I did through the apostles, and you will see an amazing work take place through you for the glory of my kingdom and the glory of my son Jesus, says the Lord. Well, I was down in Florida, Pastor Bronk and I had, you know, a lot of really good conversations. And, you know, when we go on these ministry trips, it, there's not a whole lot of, um, you know, like sightseeing and things like that. It's, it's very minimal. Usually we like to have an extra day or two to catch our breath. You know what I'm saying? Kick back and relax. But even so... Uh, a lot of really good times of fellowship. And Pastor Bronk and I, as I mentioned, we were talking about a lot. And one of the things that came up, um, and I'll just kind of summarize it with this. What, what some people say, and I've heard this more than once over the years. The word revival doesn't appear in Scripture. Revival means to revive what was dead. Christians are already alive in Christ. The lost are dead in sin and cannot be revived since they were never alive in the first place. And in essence, what they say is that uh, churches that talk about, preach about, teach about revival, uh, that it's really, it's not scriptural, but it's in essence heresy. And shouldn't be doing this. And uh, need if <laughs> we need to be in a a true Bible believing and teaching church. And I remember I heard a fellow one time. I was really kind of shocked that he said this, but he was pretty adamant. He and his wife it was after a service one time, not recently, and and he it was a visitor. And somehow the subject of revival came up after the service. People were talking. and He was saying, uh, there's nothing in the Bible about revival. This end time thing is not going to happen. It is absolutely not going to happen. It's not scriptural. And other folks were standing and listening to this. You know how sometimes people say things and it just it really catches you off guard? And you don't even you don't know what to say. Um, you're not prepared for it. Well, that when those things happen, we've just learned something about ourselves that we're not scripturally ready to handle such situations. We should be ready, instant in season and out, to give a scriptural reason why we believe what we believe. Well, nevertheless, that happened. And anyway, that man and his wife—they're really nice people, but you know, they had that belief. Now, when I, just think about this. 
um, based on what you know about God and His whole reason for sending Jesus, is there anything that you've read in the Bible that convinces you God would not want an an end time, last days, outpouring, and revival. Is there anything that you've read that gives you the impression God is not in favor of such a thing? Because when you say something like, it is not going to happen, then really what you're saying is, God has no intention for it happening. Or you're saying something along those lines. Now let's let's think about this. Now the reason this is important is because there are Christians out there that maybe you've not encountered them, but you need to understand they're out there. Now they're born again. Some filled with the Holy Spirit. They are out there. And they will refute you. And I mean refute you. If you say... We're believing God for, for an end time outpouring revival and so forth. They'll come against you. And you need to be ready for this. Because that is a tactic that the enemy would use to put a stop to what God wants to do. Think of it this way. If you can get Christians to believe there will be no end time outpouring, if you can get them to believe there will be no revival, then they're not going to do anything to press into God to see this move. Because if you don't believe it's going to happen, why try? Why put forth the effort? Well, for one thing, it is true that the word revival does not appear in Scripture. Now, if you've got... I mean. I'm talking King James here, okay? I can't speak for any of these other versions. But it is true that the the word revival does not appear in Scripture. But, neither does the word dinosaur. Now, we believe they existed, right? But there's no word dinosaur in the Bible. So, why do we believe they existed? Well, because we have evidence they existed. Okay. But the point I'm making is the word's not in the scriptures. I mean, if you want to talk about a particular word does not appear in the Bible, we could come up with a whole dictionary full of words that do not appear in the Bible. But here's another one. The word homosexual. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible anywhere. However, the behavior is described. And, you know, if you just go, you don't have to turn to this. In fact, you can be turning over to Luke. But the whole aspect of homosexuality, whether it's men or women, it's described in various places in Scripture, but especially in Romans chapter 1. So the word doesn't appear, but... The activity appears. Now, when it comes to revival, 
It's true the word is not in Scripture. However, revival is prophetically described in Scripture. Now here in Luke, look in Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, in verse 22, Jesus went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he saith unto them. Now stop right there. You need to understand that at this time, the prevailing thought among the Jews was that the Jews are the only ones who are going to spend eternity with God. In spite of what it says in the Old Testament about the Gentiles coming to the light and so forth. The Jews believe they're the only ones. Well, Jesus says in verse 24, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and is shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom <clears throat> of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. Now, he's talking about end times here. You understand that. When the master of the house shuts the door and says, that's it. Everybody you had your chance. And you did not act on what was presented to you. And Jesus says, yeah, you're going to be really, really upset because you're thinking that because you're Jewish, you've got it made in the shade. In another place, he says, search the scriptures because they point you to me. You think that because you have the scriptures, law and the prophets, you think that because you have them, this guarantees you entry into God's presence for all eternity. He says, but no, they're pointing you to me. I'm the fulfillment of what you've been reading all these years, and yet you guys won't receive, you guys won't listen, you won't hear. And, and in this place, you know, he says, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, because you're going to see people come in. In times now, you're going to see people coming in from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and they are going to sit down in the kingdom of God. And a bunch of you are going to be left out. So when he says north, south, east, and west... You need to understand from their perspective, he's talking about Gentiles. He's not simply talking about the Jews. He's talking about Gentiles. They're going to be coming in from all over. In the end, they are going to be coming in from all over. He's describing revival. And he's describing a revival that is going to sweep literally throughout the world. Not just within the, the confines of the nation of Israel, but from throughout the world. And if you look here in uh, Psalm 107, 
You're going to see, we won't read the entire 107th Psalm. I encourage you to do so. Because essentially the 107th Psalm is prophetic about revival. But in this 107th Psalm, you know, he talks here about, uh, well, he starts out and says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary place. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted, and they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And you continue to read this. A lot of people would say, well, he's talking about the Jews that were coming out of Egypt. No, the Jews didn't come from the north, south, east, and west out of Egypt. Do you see what he's saying here? If you read this, let me put it like this. I understand the application, that could, how it could be used, about people in the Old Testament, the Jews. But if you read this from a kingdom of God perspective, and know the fact that Jesus, he essentially made reference to this prophecy when he was uh, over there in Luke when he was talking. This is a prophecy about revival. And it's a revival that's going to happen at the end. Well, you take a look in Psalm 22. Psalm chapter 22. And turn to verse 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye seed of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. For he hath not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows, my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. He's going beyond the Jews, and he is making reference to a revival that's going to impact the entire world. Now, he's not saying that every human is going to get born again. But what he's saying is <coughs> that in, in these nations throughout the world, there's going to be a move of God. And in this move of God, people are going to acknowledge who the Lord really is. And if you look over in Psalm 72, in Psalm 72, uh, look at verse 1. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces their oppressor. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the moon grass as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish an abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isle shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Well, once again, you're seeing a reference to a move of God that is going to touch this entire world, and you're going to, every single nation, you're going to have people in these nations 
acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in some cases, you're going to see the leaders in these nations bowing down before God, receiving Jesus Christ. Now look over in uh, Psalm 86. And in Psalm 86, let's just go to one verse here. Uh, Verse 9, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. Well, once again, we see a move of God going beyond just Israel or the Jewish people and impacting every nation on this planet. If you look in Psalm 102, in Psalm 102, just pick it up in verse 15. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed unto death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, when the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. So again, what we're seeing is a prophetic uh, declaration of what God is going to do, that there is going to be a move. Now, there are so many other passages in Scripture. We didn't even get into um, any of the uh, uh, the prophets, where it talks about you know the Gentiles coming unto the Lord and so forth. Over and over again, there is a prophetic message, types and shadows, in Joel, I mean, just it, on and on it goes. There is a move of God. It started, call it in its infancy, but there is an outpouring that's taking place, and it's going to increase. Now, now think again about this. Why would God not want repeated worldwide what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Why wouldn't He? You know, Jesus came to earth and His declaration was, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, that's all humans, whosoever, whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish but have everlasting, eternal, glorified life with God the Father. Why why would God say, well, what happened there in Acts chapter 2 and and other places in Acts, that was well and good for back then, but not now, not anymore. That is ludicrous. Can you imagine? Here's God the Father. He's sitting up up on, on His throne in heaven, and He's listening to all of us down here, praying for revival, declaring revival, and so on. And he says, no, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Nope. You guys are just praying amiss. Now, Jesus is right next to him. What do you think Jesus would have to say about that? You'd have division between father and son. (coughs) Like, wait a minute. I went down there and went through what I did. And you're saying you don't want an outpouring? In fact, I even think the Holy Spirit would be on Jesus' side. Wait a second, you're saying you don't want an outpouring? (coughs) This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. This is what God wants. 
He wants to see this outpouring. Well then, <coughs> excuse me, along with that, you know, the person, uh, these people will say, revival means to revive what was dead. Christians are already alive in Christ. The lost are dead in sin and cannot be revived since they were never alive in the first place. Now, if you just, if you just sit and think about that, it can kind of make sense. But it's a trick. It is a play on words. And if you just take some time to do a little digging, you're going to understand the absolute foolishness of that statement. In fact, that statement itself is borderline heresy. Now, let me explain. If you look up the word revive in a dictionary, here's what you will probably find. I know every dictionary words it differently, but one, to restore to consciousness or life. Two, to restore from a depressed, inactive, or unused state. Bring back. Set going again. Make operative again. Three, to renew in the mind or memory. Now, Turn to Romans chapter 13. So that's what revive means. To restore to consciousness or life. To restore from a depressed, inactive, or unused state. Bring back, set going again, make operative again. And to renew in mind, in the mind or memory. Well, in Romans chapter 13, look at verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife, and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. But now know what, notice what he says here. In verse 11, he says, It is high time to awake out of sleep. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the body of Christ. It's high time to awaken out of sleep. Well, what do you think's been going on in the body of Christ here for, you know, quite a long, long time? There's been a slumber that's overtaken the body of Christ. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, pick it up in verse 31. I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness, and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. In other words, become conscious of who you are. Awake. Awake to your righteousness. Well, 
Why tell me to awake to my righteousness if I am not in a place of slumber to my righteousness? You understand what I'm saying? He says, awake to your righteousness. Over in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, start in verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to God, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 14, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. He's talking to the body of Christ. So what does that mean, arise uh, from the dead, and awake thou that sleepest? Basically what he's saying is, you may be born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, but you act like you're dead. You're not living the life that he describes beyond verse 14. He says, you're not living this. He says, you need to awaken unto who you are in Christ. You need to arise from the dead. You think everything's okay, but it's not. Yeah, you may be on your way to heaven. But when it comes to you living the way you're supposed to live, he says, you've got to awake. You've got to arise unto this. And stop, you know, just coasting through your life in Christ. Look over in, um, look at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, take a look here, well, begin in, in verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober." So in other words, what we're seeing here is revival. We keep seeing God speaking to the Christians and saying, (laughs) you need to be restored to consciousness and the the life that is in you. You need to be restored from a depressed, inactive, or unused state. You need to be set going again, and you need to be made operative again. Are you understanding this? So, yeah, revival within the body of Christ. Now, we understand the concept of the outpouring and reaching the lost. We've already established that people are going to come to the kingdom, come to Jesus. It's it's prophesied. We've uh, read several of those prophecies already. And now we see that this, um, this, this whole outpouring is supposed to be impacting the church, too. We may be born again, but think of it like this. Compared to the book of Acts... The church has been semi-conscious, very inactive, and quite inoperative. If we weren't, we wouldn't be crying out, God, we want to see another book of Acts take place. If it was, if it was happening on a regular basis. 
And the thing is, every single one of us are qualified for this. You may not be called to be an apostle or a prophet, but every single one of us are called to be used by God. Jesus said, you know, these signs will follow them that follow in my name, etc. and so forth. This is us. It absolutely is us. And you know, um, it, it, you don't have to turn to this, but in Acts chapter 4, what had happened, well, go ahead and turn. <laughs> Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Now, Peter and John had been arrested because there was this fellow that had been, um, uh, he had been lame, you know, his whole life. And he got healed. And the religious leaders were all fired up about it because they were preaching healing and salvation in the name of Jesus. They said, you better stop preaching in this name. And Peter and John said, well, you tell us which is better, listen to you or listen to God. Well, Peter and John got released, and it says, Acts chapter 4, verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagine vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of, the holy ch of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, these were people who were already born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. So why does it say, and they were all filled? This is talking about an outpouring. This is talking about where the Holy Spirit moves in glory in their midst. But notice what they say in verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done. And by the name by the name of thy holy child, Jesus, they're praying revival right there. You see this? This is what they're saying. And these were the people in the middle of revival. And it's like they're saying, yeah, God, we've had a lot. We want more. We want more. We want to see your power demonstrated even more. And so what happened, there was an outpouring. The outpouring was on who? Peter, John, any of the other apostles that were gathered together in that room, all the other believers that were gathered together, the Holy Spirit moved upon people whom he'd already moved on. And we see what happened. The power. It says the place where they had prayed, it was shaken. It was shaken. That means the power of God had moved in such a way to where... If the building wasn't physically shaken, I mean, there was a shaking spiritually that was taking place in that room. So the point I'm making here in all of this is that revival, by the very word, 
means it impacts both the church and the lost. There is a revival in us, and God moves in us and through us with this this outpouring, and it touches the world in the north, south, east, and west, and the people come in, and they're born again. The nations are touched. So this whole thing about revival, yeah, it is scriptural. Absolutely, it is scriptural. But now I want you to look over in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And this is where God is speaking to Moses. You know, the burning bush and so forth. And God tells Moses that he's going to deliver the people. And he says it here in verse 8. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So he's, he's declaring, I'm going to take them to a place that's already prepared. It's ready and it's waiting for them. Now look over in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is giving his, uh, like you would call his, his parting address, his final speech. And in verse 10, And it shall be when the Lord thy God have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. And houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, and when thou shalt have eaten and be full. And he goes on to tell them, you know, don't forget who did this for you. But he's identifying the fact you're going to go into a place that's been prepared for you, and you're going to have all these blessings, you know, all of the you know, food and places to live. And it's waiting for you. It's already been built. It exists. And if you look in chapter 8, in verse 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, of, of, of oil, oil olive, and honey. So, again, repeatedly God is telling them, I'm taking you someplace that is absolutely incredible. I'm taking you to a place you've never known. I'm taking you a, to a place that's already been prepared for you. Well, now turn back over to Exodus chapter 13. Now, in Exodus chapter 13, what's happened is, Israel has been released out of Egypt. We pick it up in verse 17, Exodus 13, verse 17. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Now, God's looking down at this. And he sees the people, and he knows their weaknesses. 
And he knows that um, if I take them the short way, they're going to be facing the Philistines. But I know they're not ready for this. Even though all the promises are waiting, I know they're not ready for this. So I'm going to take, have to take them the long way around. Now, if God had talked to them and said, Now, folks, uh, here's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to be taking you the long way around because you're not ready to cross over right now. The Philistines are there and they're going to fight you and all this. How many of those people do you think would have said, Oh no, we're ready. We're ready now. Okay? I mean, I've, I've, I've got my sword and I've got my club and I've got my BB gun. I mean, we're ready. We're ready. Take us in, God. Well, you know they would have. After all, God, you promised that all of that was waiting. So we're ready. Well, no matter how much they would have protested, we're ready to engage the Philistines and all of the other Hittites and and Jebusites or whoever else is over there. You know, we're ready to take them on. God knew they weren't. Now, I want to share something with you. You need to hold on to this. Just because you receive a promise from God does not mean you are ready right now for the manifestation of that promise. Hold on to that. Seriously. Because there are a lot of people over the years, they've been in church services and a a minister has called them out and prophesied something to them. Because it didn't happen the next day, the next week, the next month, or the next year. False prophet. He's a false prophet. If God, if it's truly a prophecy from God, then it's what God desires. But you, not, you may not be at a place right now to handle it, to receive it. But it isn't that that the that God doesn't want it to happen. It's that just not right now. It's almost like He's saying, "Hey, here's what I have in store for you. Prepare yourself to receive it. Do what you need to do." to receive the manifestation of this promise that I've made unto you. <coughs> well, you know, <coughs> excuse me, God had, he had promised them. And he said, I'm going to be with you. He promised, I will be with you all the time. However, they were the ones that had to do the warfare and drive out the enemy. God didn't, he didn't say, okay, now you guys just sit down and you know, get out your checkerboard, just have a good old time. I'm going to go over there with a whole bunch of angels. We're going to wipe these people out. And then you just move on in. It didn't happen that way. Could it have? Well, yeah, but it didn't happen that way. God made them a promise. And he knew they were the ones who were going to have to do the warfare to drive out the enemy. Now, he said he'd be with them. He said he would help them. But they were the ones who had to pick up their swords and their spears and engage the enemy in battle. Well, here's the problem. It took 40 years of preparation before they were ready. 
Because from this time going forward, what we're reading here in Exodus 13, from that point forward, over and over again, the people fussed, the people complained, the people said, uh, you know, why, why didn't we just stay back there in Egypt? It's the very thing that God said, you know, they're not ready for this because if they see war, they may turn back and go to Egypt. Well, they were ready to turn back to Egypt just because they had manna. We're tired of this manna. They were ready to go back to Egypt because they got thirsty and didn't believe, they didn't believe that if God can part the waters for them to walk across that He can somehow get some water to them. They didn't believe this, and they fussed and they complained. In other words, it was like they were proving God's point the whole time and didn't realize it. And so it took 40 years in the wilderness for all of the fussing and complaining and blaming God and, and just how messed up it took 40 years for all of that stuff to be mortified. Because God said, everybody 20 years old and older, you're all going to die out here. Well, you think they believe that? I mean, seriously, think about it. Do you think everybody believed that? Oh, I'm sure some of them thought, I ain't dying out here. I don't know what God's talking about. Well, God, I guess I trust him. But this guy Moses... I mean, where's he coming up with this stuff? I tell you what, he's just trying to manipulate us to be good. He's just, he's just saying that to try and scare us. I am going to, you watch, you watch, I will be in that promised land. Because I have a promise from God. Do you follow what I'm getting at? Well, those people start dropping off dead. You know, every day maybe somebody's dying, but for 40 years... Forty years are out there. So the 19-year-olds, it's been 40 years. Okay, they're, they're now 59 years old. That means, other than Caleb and Joshua, the oldest person that crossed into the Promised Land was 59. That was it. Now, somebody might have had a birthday the day after they crossed over and turned 60, but the oldest person was 59 years old. And then you had everybody underneath 59. But the thing is, it took 40 years of following that cloud and that pillar for them to be ready. How many of those, like, 19-year-olds, and they're getting older, and the others are getting older, and so forth, how many of them do you think got tired of walking mile after mile after mile after stinking, lousy mile after mile? Just, oh, 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 look at that. The cloud's starting to move. <laughs> we got to pack up again. Think, do you realize, go back and read how hard it was for them to have to pack up everything in the tabernacle. They had to disassemble the whole thing and all of their own tents. Take everything apart. Pack it all up. And, and okay, parents, how many times have you been trying to go on vacation and your kids are running all over the place? You're trying to pack. You're trying to pack for them. You're trying to keep them in the house. It's nuts. You don't think they went through that kind of stuff back then? we got to hurry. But I have to go to the bathroom. But we got to hurry. Go with the cloud is moving. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Year after year after year, this was going on. You don't think they got tired of eating the same manna day after day? Manna, it was the original superfood. Seriously. 
They had to deal with the heat in the day and the cold at night and on and on and on. But when the cloud and the pillar moved, they had to go follow it 40 years. Now, we have spied out the land of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And we know what is waiting. There is a promised land of outpouring and revival that's waiting. It's not that we will create it. God's already in the mood for it. East, west, north, south, okay? God's already in the mood for it. We're the ones pressing into it. So it's there. Now, God could immediately, today, pour, have this, this overwhelming outpouring of glory, anointing, and so forth, for revival. However, he wants us ready. He knows that uh, we've got to be purged, you know, of murmuring and complaining. We've got to be purged of of unforgiveness and these fleshly habits that are in opposition to the new nature. We, our tongues, need to be mortified. How in the world can we successfully operate? in this outpouring and revival, if every time something happens that we don't like, our confession is totally opposed to God's promises. We, it, it just, I am shocked at the number of Christians who have heard good, solid teaching on confession, and yet anytime something happens, happens to their bodies, they are taking ownership of it. They're claiming it for themselves. They're speaking it over them. They continue to curse their own bodies. And then it gets bad when they start cursing other people. Well, well, maybe you have what? Oh, 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 listen. I, Grandma had that. Maybe you've got it too. Maybe you've got Sasquatch disease. Who knows? Maybe. And they, they I don't need that. And neither do you. How are we going to function when we, when we are in competition with God, well, it's, it's not going to happen, guys. Our tongues need mortification. He knows that we have to be ready to face every enemy that's going to rise up against us. I'm talking a spiritual enemy now. We have to be ready to face every enemy, every demon that is going to attack when we cross over Jordan, if you will, into the promised land of outpouring and revival. Because God, guys, God knows that those attacks are going to come. They're going to happen. And in preparation for this outpouring and revival, there have already been attacks. Look, there are people who have left this church shouldn't have left. Oh, yes. I don't know who you are, really. Well, maybe I do. Um, but I feel like that I have offended you in some way. And the truth is, I don't really know what I've done. But, you're carrying something. And so I stand here publicly, and I apologize to you. But I don't even know what I've done. But I'm sorry. And uh, now, well, anyway, to move on. You see, we have to keep following the cloud by day and the fire by night. And what that means is prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word. That's how we follow it. You know, how many times... Do we feel like we don't want to pray anymore? How many times do we feel like, 
you know, I, I don't want to do any more fasting. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading my Bible anymore. All I do is fall asleep every time I try. I mean, on and on it goes. Guys, that's no different than what those Israelites would have gone through out there in that wilderness. So our, in a way, our wilderness is our battles with the flesh. Because our spirit wants this. Our spirit wants this edification, this growth, this development, this maturity. And we need to understand that as soon as we cross over into this, this outpouring and revival, there's going to be a Jericho waiting for us. Remember when Israel crossed over the Jordan, Jericho was already there. So we need to understand that symbolically, the enemy knows what we're doing. This church and other churches praying, pressing into God, believing God for an outpouring and revival. The enemy knows this. So you don't think that he's got some Jerichos built waiting for us on the other side? You better believe he does. But the thing is, we keep pressing into God. We keep doing what we can do. And by the time we get there and we cross over and here's the outpouring and here's revival, we're going to be ready for the Jericho. We're going to be ready, you know, to march the march and shout the shout and watch the Jericho fall. We're going to be ready for um, the AI people. We're going to be ready for the Canaanites. We're going to be ready for, you know, whatever is there. We're going to be ready for it. And we will conquer. And we will possess. Because that is what God has promised. And He will use us to minister. He'll be using us to, to pour His glory and His anointing. He'll be using us. And we will have an impact on this world. There will be a shaking in our own lives. A shaking in our midst. I don't say that the building itself is going to shake, but it could. And then God is going to use us, and we are going to be so full of God, and so unfull of ourselves, there won't be any pride. There won't be any, look what I did when I prayed for that person. There's going to be, look what God did for that person. This is where we're headed. Be encouraged. Yes, revival is scriptural. And God wants to use us. Do not be weary in the well-doing. The prayer, the fasting, the worship, the waiting on God, the uh, the fellowshipping with God, all of this. Do not be weary in the well-doing because, guys, change is happening in every single one of us doing this. And we are becoming more of what God desires. And I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Now, somebody might say, well, now, Brother Martin, that all sounds well and good and I'm guessing everybody's all motivated and ready to go. I don't mean to leave the service. I mean, but yeah, we're ready. But I got a question for you, Brother Martin. Big question. Okay? Well, watch your question. What if? Just what if? We don't see revival. What if it doesn't happen here? Just what if? Okay. Good question. What if it doesn't? How have we lost anything by pressing into God? Either way we win, guys. Either way we win. I win. Praise God. So revival or no revival? 
we win. But I say, yeah, we're going to see results. Praise the Lord. Well, when's it going to happen? I don't know. Maybe as soon as you quit talking through your nose. (laughs) Everybody stand. Father, I thank you for this. And it is encouraging, Father. And, And I know that there are times when we sit around and wonder, is it ever going to happen? Is there ever going to be a change? Is this and that? But yet, God, eventually the Israelites crossed over and took possession, and they won every battle. So, Father, that's a type and shadow for us. We're going to be crossing that Jordan. We're going to be possessing the outpouring and the revival. We're going to keep pressing into you, Father, and mortifying the flesh so that your will can be fully accomplished in our lives. Father, the lost are depending on us, and they don't even know it. So, Father, we have to be at that place of of being ready for this outpouring and revival so that you can move. Praise your holy name. Thank you again, Father, for this service and what you're doing in our midst. And, Father, just prepare our hearts and our minds for what you want to do tonight. All the glory, Jesus, it goes to you. In your precious name, Lord, amen.